0: Someone truly saw me for who I am, not just what I've been through. For someone who loves trophies and lives for achievements, I just found myself lost, aimlessly wandering from one boat safe onto the next. Until I couldn't run anymore, it was like everything I never knew that I always wanted was staring In the blink of an eye, my whole world changed. I can't really tell you why, but it's hard to describe when perfect love. When Jesus chose me. He chose me. He chose me. He chose me. so glad you're here today and a gorgeous day. Yeah. Is it too hot already, too hot? Some of you are like, gorgeous? That was like two days ago. Well, my name is Eric. I'm our campus pastor here. Welcome to Gateway in South Austin. We're so glad that you're here, and we're doing a series I'm very excited about. In fact, you had homework. I don't know if you did it, but I encourage you last week, if you've not yet watched it, to watch the show The Chosen on Netflix, season one. In many ways, we're looking at these encounters of Jesus with people, and in those encounters, everything changes for the person. And in the series chosen, it's a, an appropriate day to start because today is my 29th anniversary with my wife, and that's that's a choice, right? She chose me; I chose her, and so I'm going to have Deborah come up to renew our vows. I'm just kidding. She, she's not even at the service. She comes to the second service and she hates that kind of thing. She, she likes the grand gestures just one-on-one, right? But I, I did want to kind of illustrate this idea of choice and the importance of choosing. Here's a picture of us when we were dating. Yes, I did have hair at one point in my life. And you know, marriage is one of the greatest experiences in life, but it can also be one of the most challenging. Because you're not just choosing someone to be with for the rest of your life, you're actually every day having to make that choice. Amen. You don't always experience them the way you did when you were dating. You know, when you're younger, opposites attract. Not too long later, they annoy, right? <laughs> But even still, you have to choose and choose again. Now, we got off to a bit of a rough start. Some of you know this story, but Deborah had to choose whether she still wanted to marry me or not on the day of our wedding. You see, I woke up that morning with chicken pox. True story, I'd never had chicken pox in my life until the day of our wedding. What are the odds? And what's next, diaper rash on the honeymoon? Like this is a childhood disease that is affecting me at age 22, and I just couldn't believe it. And so I called her, I knew I needed to find out if she had ever had chicken pox. Because, you know, if we're going to get married that day and go on a trip, I didn't want her to get sick along the way. And so I called her up, and I asked her if she'd ever had chicken pox. And then she kind of was freaking out just a little bit. I mean, it is her wedding day. And she said, why do you even ask? This was after she affirmed she'd already had it. And I lied. I just lied. We aren't even quite yet married, and I'm already lying to her. I said, well, my cousin has it. And she said, well, tell him not to come. He will ruin everything. (laughs) And I thought, okay, this is even worse than before I called her. And so I ended up writing her a note to tell her the truth that it was actually me, that I was the one with this childhood contagious disease. And her sisters thought the note that I had sent via messenger courier was romantic. And so they took a picture of her reading it right about the time that she was saying, I'm the one with chicken pox. Look how shocked she is in that moment. Now all went well. There's pictures of us at the ceremony. Uh, She decided that day to still marry me. I'm very grateful for that. Everything went well during the ceremony, although he did say at the end, the pastor said, and by the way, the bride and groom would like to welcome you into this reception, and the groom has chicken pox. Go enjoy. (laughs) And in the room, people were waving at me from afar. Others were sending their children over to me so that they didn't grow up and have chickenpox on their wedding day. Uh, at the reception, uh, uh, you can see I'm kissing her on the forehead. You can see a couple of the bumps on my head and they got worse. It got only worse after that. And we ended up going to Los Angeles on our honeymoon. And yes, I had one on my eyelid and couldn't stop winking at the guy sitting next to me on the Southwest Airlines flight. And I probably infected thousands of children at the happiest place on earth, but it was our honeymoon. Actually, I was told I was not actually contagious by this point, but I did not look good. And eventually, in spite of my disease, and then later in spite of my own hangups and hurts and habits, she's kept choosing me and I've had to keep choosing her. That's how this works. Here's a picture of us a little later on, a a much happier time at Disneyland without the illness. And then another picture of us uh, all grown up uh, during the pandemic. I hadn't been that thin since 1994. So I use that as my Facebook picture. (laughs) But there's a troubling misunderstanding in our culture when it comes to marriage. It's this idea of looking for someone to make you happy. And I asked her about this, and she's so wise. By the way, so much of anything you might hear me say on a Sunday is probably something I learned from my wife. But she said it this way, if our happiness is dependent on someone else, we will never be happy. See, it's not a 50-50 relationship that makes a good marriage. It's each of us bringing 100% of us. And when we come into a relationship, having found our own sense of joy and happiness, our identity through a relationship with God, then we have so much more to offer. We're not looking for that person to meet the deepest needs in our life that only God can meet. And then what happens is when they're having a tough day, we can lift them up. And when we're having a tough day, they can help us. Now, if you're married, maybe you've been squeezing your spouse's hand throughout this time, I wanna encourage you, keep going out on dates. Still get time alone. Keep connecting with each other's heart. If you have kids, it can get so hard to do that. One of the things Deborah and I have done is once both kids were in school, we started doing breakfast and a movie on Fridays because the school district is much cheaper than a sitter. And we just got into that habit. And even though our kids are grown up, don't even live with us anymore, we still do breakfast and a movie on Fridays. It's our date day. It's our chance to spend time together. We're gonna do a maximizing marriage workshop this spring. And keep your eyes out for that. If you're married or or wanting to be married or engaged, uh, just send me an email if you wanna make sure we don't miss you, it won't be for a few weeks. Uh, Eric at Just put marriage as the subject and I'll make sure you get that info. But I want you to think now about all the choices, not just whether or not you're going to get married or who you marry, but all the choices we make throughout our life. Think of the circumstances surrounding them. The circumstances that determine the people we spend time with, where we work, the college we attend, the friends, the roommates we choose, the jobs we pursue. But then it comes to a different season and circumstances shift and there may be some choices when you look backwards that you regret. That when you think of them it actually reminds you of The pain of that decision, of the regret of the choice that we made. In Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which can be quoted any time of year, not just at Christmas, Scrooge explains it this way. You are fettered, said Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Now, what's true about that is sometimes we do carry our choices and our regrets and our shame like shackles. By the way, the Christmas Carol is not theologically true when it comes to the afterlife, but we don't have time to talk about that. Now. But the truth is much of how we measure ourselves and measure each other is by the choices that we make. Going to college versus starting to work right out of high school. Working at a nonprofit or working in business. Who to marry or whether to marry. Having kids young, having kids late, or not having kids at all. All these choices determine the kind of life that we have. And if we're not careful, we can allow our choices both right, but even more so when they're wrong to define us. And our hope in this series is that you understand that God chose you and still chooses you, regardless of whatever decisions you've made, regardless of the regrets or the shame that you might feel. God saw the highs and lows in your life, the amazing choices, and the choices you don't even confess to your dog, and he saw your good and bad, and he still says yes. This week, I saw a meme or somebody describe their life as trying to live up to what their dog thinks of them, right? So you need to understand that failure is an event, not a person. It's never too late to become who you might have been. It's never too late to become who you might have been. Our hope is that you would know that God has chosen you, and today you have a choice. Either to reject the path that he has for you, or to come back to him, or surrender to him in areas that maybe you've been holding on to. Now Jesus made choices about who he would trust And we're going to look at some of these encounters These scandalous encounters that Jesus had with others All the way up until the weekend That changed human history, a.k.a. Easter And in each of these stories we see the most unlikely and seemingly marginalized people Who are chosen by the one who came to live and die So that we could find new life in him and today, we're talking about being chosen even at your all-time love. In Matthew four eighteen through 22, we look at how Jesus chose some and how some followed him. It says this, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people and they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving a boat and their father behind. See, some of the context is these were first century Jewish young men who were taught that one day a Messiah would come And they saw Jesus teach. They had seen him do miraculous things. And so it was easy for them to believe this must be him. And they dropped everything to follow him. Then we see a progression of those who accepted the call to follow him. And so few would be named as apostles. Those who are sent out. Hundreds of people at this point are following Jesus. And it says this in Luke chapter 6. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he called Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was also called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. For days... Message We're going to focus on two of the apostles, Simon Peter and Judas Iscariot. Two of the best known apostles, albeit for very different reasons. And we'd forget that these two individuals are actually not so different. They simply chose to respond differently to the mistakes and the evil choices that they made. They're very real, broken hearted, flawed people that despite their sin and their mess, they were chosen by God. So we're gonna start with Peter. He was hot-headed, disciple. He seemed to always insert his foot into his mouth at all the wrong times, as if there's ever a good time to do that. And maybe much of it was because he was up front and center in the story of Jesus. Perhaps he was an extrovert. Perhaps he didn't know what to do with the silence. Peter likely lived by the mantra, speak and act first, think later. Maybe you can relate. That left him open to making more mistakes than any of the other disciples. Maybe you identify with Peter, just in a moment of honesty. How many of you say, that's kind of me? I can be like that sometimes. All right, me and five others. That's good. (laughs) But Peter is a call-it-like-you-see-it, apologize-later kind of person. Just to hit a couple of the highlights, or we should maybe call them lowlights. Apparently, in Mark 10, we discover that Peter doesn't like kids, In Matthew 14, he attempts to walk on water, but then starts to sink. In Mark 9, he has low self-awareness on the Mount of Transfiguration, so much so that God the Father says, would you stop talking and listen to my son? In Matthew 17, he speaks on behalf of Jesus on taxation as if he was an expert. In Matthew 16, Peter rejects an entire purpose that Jesus came to earth. If I remember right, that's when Jesus said, get behind me and call him a new nickname, Satan. (laughs) In John 13, Peter's above following Jesus' instruction and doesn't want him to wash his feet. In Matthew 26, Peter falls asleep during prayer. And about that same time, he cuts off the ear of a soldier, even as Jesus told him that he was going to be betrayed and would suffer. Peter was getting a C-plus as a disciple. He's that kid in class that's skating by perhaps on charisma and effort and then there was Judas a different personality he seemed to be good with details good with numbers in fact he was put in charge of the funds and we don't know much about Judas perhaps because he didn't speak out as much but we do have this story in John chapter 12 that we learn a little bit about him it says this six days before the passover jesus came to bethany where lazarus lived whom jesus had raised from the dead Here, a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. How cool would that dinner be like? Ever been asked the question, who would you like to eat with, living or dead? They got to eat with someone who had been both, (laughs) Lazarus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume she poured it on. Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. By the way, no self-respecting woman in those days would have taken down her hair. This was part of a custom of washing people's feet because they walked around in sandals in the dirt and she went a little bit over the top. So overwhelmed with gratitude for who Jesus had been in her life. It says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's, Wages Think about that for a moment What would have cost a year's worth of work Is what she just poured on Jesus' feet Out of gratitude He did not say this because he cared about the poor But because he was a thief As keeper of the money bag He used to help himself to what was put into it Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. In verse five, Judas, we discover, does not value sacrifice. Judas had a reputation as a thief. And it's questionable if Judas even sees the value of Jesus. Perhaps he didn't share that same sort of gratitude that Mary did. Perhaps it was because he had a different view of what he thought Jesus should be doing. Some of these that were following Jesus were eager for the Messiah to rid the oppression of the Romans. And Jesus did not come to get involved in politics. He came to bring a solution for the spiritual problem of all humanity. He came as the suffering servant. We can see the lack of ability in these two men and we can judge them as people who should know better. I mean, they're walking with Jesus. And yet we have to fully embrace the fact that despite their sin and their mess, they were chosen by God. So we've established that these are flawed human beings. And now we see another parallel in their betrayal of Jesus. Let's first look at Peter, Luke 22. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with Jesus. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. He could tell by his accent. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine this moment? Close enough. Perhaps that Jesus even heard this denial. Jesus looked into Peter's eyes, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. He had warned him that before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Peter said, of course I won't, and now he's done it. He says he went outside and he wept bitterly. Compare that to the tragedy that unfolds in Judas' life. Luke 22, now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. They were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the 12, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12 was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? The most brutal way to betray Jesus. Maybe you've visited other countries where it's in their culture. A kiss is not romantic. It's actually a form of honor, a form of respect and greeting. In essence, Judas is saying, I greet you with honor and respect as I hand you over to your death. It gives new meaning to the proverb that says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now it's hard to know what was going in Judas's heart. Perhaps he thought, if I get him arrested, then he'll use his superpowers and rise up and become this political messiah I'm hoping for. We're not exactly sure. But now we see two imperfect men, two backstabbing men, now facing their shame and collective and the collective weight of it all. Imagine this scene. Screen on one side has Peter, his head is in his lap as his tears puddle on the dirt floor and the other side of the screen is Judas there are no more tears there are deadpan eyes distraught and numb now Peter we know his response was to quit he walks away from his calling to be one of those sent as an apostle and instead returns to his life as a fisherman until John chapter 21 which we'll get to in a moment He still had to face the consequences of his terrible choices, but as you'll see, he was met with overwhelming love that washes away the shame. But Judas responded in Matthew 27. Tragically, it says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left and he went away and hanged himself. Judas's response is to be so overtaken with grief that it separates him from the grace and love that he'd experienced for at least two years. He actually walked with Jesus. He saw miracles, he experienced life change. But when grief becomes our master, When sin takes control, it robs us of every grace and life that we so desperately need. He forgot that despite his sin and mess that he was chosen by God. Now maybe you're here and you've lost someone to suicide. And you know in your heart of hearts that it was a permanent solution for a temporary problem. And I just want to encourage you that God is a loving God and he looks at our heart and not just the good and bad choices we make. And I want to encourage you, if you're here and you've had suicidal ideation, we want to help you. Whatever you're going through, God wants to be with you in it and help you through it. Come find me or anyone on the prayer team after. We would love... To find resources to help you through this. But I want you to consider both men had made mistakes. One from the front, the other from the back. Both men had betrayed Jesus, one to his face and the other behind his back. Both men took turns facing their shame. But one was restored and the other lets it kill him. How remarkable would the story have been if Judas would have made his way over to find Jesus on the cross. If Jesus was saying about those who had killed him, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I'm certain he would have been forgiven by the one he betrayed. But let's be honest here. There's a little bit of Peter in us and a little bit of Judas in us. We all have moments when we are feeling connected and tight with God. We're on the mountaintop. We feel like, yes, God, I'm all in. Only what you want is what I want. And then temptation comes or a trial comes and suddenly we give up that level of faith because God isn't meeting our expectations. He's not meeting our needs the way we want or we think is best because we're all broken and faulty people. Isaiah 64 says it this way, for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. But what you really need is the entirety of who you are to be covered in the love of Jesus. He comes to earth. He's fully human. God in the flesh, walking in our shoes, living a sinless life guiding us towards righteousness. And he dies to take upon himself the shame and the sin of humanity. All that happened before then and all that's come since. And it killed him. And yet he rose from the dead on that third day so that we too can be risen from the death of sin to experience salvation, new life that begins now and lasts into eternity. Isaiah 61 says it this way. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Because despite your sin and mess. You are chosen by God. It's never too late to come back to him. Don't give up. It's never too late to be who God designed you to be. At Jesus's resurrection, there's a number of encounters of him appearing to the disciples and none probably more famous than when he restores Peter. In 2017, I had a chance to go with one of our Gateway Go teams to Israel and I had a chance to stand on that beach there in the Sea of Galilee where they believed Jesus both first met Peter, but also restored Peter. I have a picture on the screen. And there at that beach, I found this rock. The child P2 TV is not part of the story. But that rock, I I don't know who picked it up and put it there. I don't know if if it was just natural. I don't know if people have been rubbing at it to make it look like this heart but I can tell you that day on the beach, I had my own moment with Jesus just wanting to restart. It's amazing how quickly we can slip and fade and drift. But listen to this story, John 21. They're on that beach. It says when they finished eating, Jesus had prepared a meal and the fishermen came up and started to see the risen Jesus. He has this conversation with Simon Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Just as he did two and a half years prior, he restored Peter. Peter, who would go on to become the leader of the early church, he once preached and 3,000 people came to follow after Jesus at Pentecost. Church history tells us what Jesus said is true, that eventually, as an old man, during the evil reign of Nero, Peter, Peter, was going to be crucified and said, I do deserve to die the same way Jesus died. And so they crucified him upside down. But I want you to notice what happened here. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Because it was three times that Peter denied him. He had a chance to take back those words. He had a chance to find healing for the shame. See, God will often bring us back to the place of our deepest pain, not to shame us, but to heal us. Just for a moment, I want to give us a chance to just connect to God in our own heart, just quietly there in our seat. I want you to just ask this question of yourself, or maybe even ask God, what is currently keeping you from the fullness of God's love and grace today. Just for the next 60 seconds. It'll feel like a long time unless you open your heart in this moment to ask God to help you know how to answer that question and then take that moment to surrender to Him, whatever He reveals. What is currently keeping you from the In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I have to imagine on his way to be crucified upside down, Peter's not thinking about his mistakes. He's thinking about those miraculous moments But I want to invite you to stand with us and just try to learn the song. Let it be your prayer to him.